Hi, I'm Adam Lewis, and welcome to Dear IQ in our High IQ Topics series. This is different than our normal curriculum podcast episodes and our standalone topics that go along with our High IQ videos on YouTube. They are shorter and supplement our normal podcast in this way with direct tactics to help you up your deer hunting game. In this episode, we're looking at what I think are six of the worst mistakes, or as I said on the related video and blog, totally dumb things us hunters do that really mess up our hunts or even a whole hunting season. And many times we don't even realize we're doing these things. Yes, I've been guilty of these, so I'm speaking from lessons learned the hard way, and I've seen a lot of other hunters making them as well. And if you can avoid these, they will drastically help you be more successful. And I have a bonus at the end as well that didn't quite make the top six, but it's also a good one, so stay tuned and listen for that. Before I get into the nitty gritty details of these, a couple things real quick, especially if you're new here. First, you'll notice we have an IQ ranking system where beginner is 1 IQ, intermediate is 5 IQ, and 10 IQ is our advanced content. This is true for our podcast as well as our blogs and videos, so you can best get content to meet you where you're at. This is a 5 IQ episode, and I'm pretty sure you'll get something good out of it. Second, I invite you to follow this podcast or subscribe and check out all our other content, the videos on our YouTube channel, and also our blog if you like to read. We even have a free journal that goes along with our curriculum-based podcast found at DearIQ.com. So I highly suggest journaling because it's the quickest way to learn and become a better hunter quickly. And that's free and on our website. And at the end, I have a few takeaways and challenges for you that you'll really benefit from. You won't want to miss that. Okay, let's take a look at six mistakes that totally destroy hunts. Every time a hunter sets foot in the woods, there's a whole slew of dangers lurking. An unseen twig that crunches underfoot, an errant move that catches a deer's eye, an escaping gaseous plume that takes to the air and lingers in a whitetail's nostrils. But of the million little things that could go wrong, some errors are much worse than others. They are big and dumb, and worse yet, get made over and over again. These egregious hunt destroyers need to be avoided at all costs. And the good news is, if you can avoid them, your odds of taking an exceptional whitetail skyrocket. Yes, I'm guilty of many of these myself, like I said. I share from experience and observation, with a goal of maybe helping us all get a little better at this thing we love called deer hunting. So with that in mind, here are the six dumb things I have noticed that us hunters do, in no particular order, that hopefully you can eliminate as an I wish I wouldn't have. Number one, morning entries through food. As a public land hunter, it amazes me how many hunters are guilty of this one. Just this year, I slipped into a transition area deep in a swamp attempting to catch deer coming to bed from nearby crop fields at daylight. I entered from the side and in a way that was not near the fields, which I planned well ahead of time. About a half an hour before first light, a handful of deer came crashing through from the direction of the field and hightailed it into the swamp. I shook my head because I knew what spooked them, and as I peered through the dark toward the field, a hunter's headlight pierced the gray and bobbed into the woods, apparently pushing the deer off their nighttime feeding area to get to his stand seemed like a good idea. When this egregious hunting act is done, it spooks the deer you are trying to hunt, 
literally driving them off and ensuring you will not have any chance at them. It also educates them and causes deer to head to bedding earlier and earlier, making your chances less and less as the season progresses. This also happens often in other food sources like food plots and stands of oaks dropping acorns. Whatever the food source, you simply must not walk through it or near it for your morning entry. The fix is simple. Think through your entry routes and enter from another direction well ahead of when deer will be approaching. Such an easy solution, but one many overlook. And I'll also add here that if you can't figure that out, maybe that's not a morning hunting location. Not all stands are made for hunting in the morning. Okay, dumb thing we do. Number two, bedding area scent bombing. For evening sits, most hunters are trying to catch deer coming from bedding and heading toward food. Therefore, the setup is somewhere between the two or even at the food source. Many times, though, I see well-intentioned hunters eagerly walking toward their secret evening hotspot full of wonder and anticipation, but with one major oversight. The wind is at their backs. Most of these hunters don't practice adequate scent control, which is very difficult while walking due to perspiration and skin exposure to the wind, and thus let their stench blow throughout the bedding area, holding the deer they wish to hunt. Then they proceed to set up with high expectations, which quickly fades to disillusionment when they don't see much. Now don't get me wrong, I'm 100% for a good scent control regimen, and I'll link mine below because they really work. But on entries, you really have to mind the wind I've come to learn, and from my experience, where the wind is blowing uh, is really important. And this is your greatest opportunity to be scented when you're walking in, due to the physical nature of walking and odors your body creates doing this. Think through your entries and be smart about where the deer are and where your wind is blowing on all parts of your route. Be willing to reroute how you approach and even walking well out of your way if that is necessary to get into your stand without letting your wind blow into the bedding areas. Okay, dumb thing number three the hunters do, poor evening extractions. Some locations, like food sources, are easy to get to for an evening hunt. Deer are usually hundreds of yards away bedded with no clue of your entry. That's great. The problem is when dark sneaks in and deer are still right in front of you chowing down, can you get out undetected? Just busting them off as you leave completely compromises the stand location and possibly for the rest of the year. But many people get caught in this predicament without good pre-thought as to their extraction. I call these kamikaze hunts because they are essentially one-and-done death missions. A better approach is to plan a stealthy extraction. If you're sitting on a field, let's say, this could be a person in a vehicle coming at dark to bump deer off and pick you up. Another solution is waiting until very dark and escaping a backdoor route through a bedding area that has been vacated. Slipping down the backside of a hill or via a ditch or ravine away from where the deer are. Planning ahead is the key to a stealthy extraction, so really think through how you're going to get out. And I will say here that many times how you get in and how you get out has to be different. So really think about what the deer are doing, where the deer will be, and where you need to go to avoid them on the way in, and in this case, on your way out. 
Okay, like this episode so far? If you do, I invite you to rate and leave a review and follow. And maybe share this with a buddy who may benefit. That really helps this channel and our podcast grow, and it's greatly appreciated. Also, do you know your Dear IQ? Do you think you're Dear Smart? Well, why don't you take our Dear IQ test and find out? It's fun and easy and is linked below. Check it out and compare yourself to the guests we have on the show and see how you do compared to them. We reveal these in the episodes with the guests, and a recent guest, Adam Hayes, got a 7 out of 10. So how'd you do compared to him? Why don't you find out? And do you know where to find more content of ours? Many people don't. Well, we have videos on our YouTube channel. We have a blog where you can read many of these same articles, like this one. It has a blog form on our website. We also have social media, and we have a Facebook private group where we discuss these things in more detail, and some of our expert guests are actually in that group. And we also are on Instagram, so find us there as well. All right, and now to mistake number four that hunters make. Number four, blowing out scrapes. I recently saw a video by a fairly well-known hunting group where they were demonstrating making mock scrapes. The hunter in the video was doing this with his everyday tennis shoes on. He proceeded to dance around, kick out the dirt, and put some sort of scent with his bare hands on the licking branch. I'm not sure if he was totally serious, but the message sent was, deer don't mind human scent all over their primary communication hub. This is the worst advice, verbal or not, anyone could give. You see, does and bucks both visit scrapes, leaving and receiving vital communication to and from all other deer in the area. Why then would you want to directly communicate to all deer, beware, a human has invaded your home and might be trying to kill you? You would not want to do that. You would only do this if you were trying to warn the deer, not shoot one. If you are making a mock scrape, make sure to use scent-free rubber boots or even consider hip boots to keep all scent off of grasses and other things around on the ground. Rubber gloves, and I would get ones that go up your arm a ways, and do not touch any branch with your clothing. You need to fool all deer. So take extreme caution with your scent footprint in the entire area when you're messing around with scrapes. Number five, trail camera reverse surveillance. A couple years ago, I ran across a trail camera set on public land, and I remember thinking that's the worst possible placement I've ever seen. No offense, fellow hunter, but I see this a lot. A trail camera set directly on a main trail and at head height to the deer. This puts the foreign object front and center to any deer traveling that route, so it almost has to be seen and smelled by the deer using it. I'm sure it seemed like a great spot to capture deer pictures at the time it was placed. However, a trail camera is supposed to surveil deer movement, not the reverse. Let them surveil and detect us, which is exactly what this setup did. Many times that's a problem when we are checking cameras or putting cameras out and how we place them. We're actually telling deer that we're observing them and it allows them to start observing us instead. And that's a big no-no. That's what we don't want because we want the element of surprise. Trail cameras can hold a lot of scent on the surface as well as on the strap. Again, this is tipping your hand to deer which can immediately alter their movement. Practice the same scent regimen as above when setting and checking trail cameras for this reason. 
Also, cameras should be placed at least head high so they cannot be directly sniffed or smelled by deer and are much less visible. And at a 45 degree angle to any main trail so they aren't directly in line of sight. And I would also know the camera's nighttime capabilities, which is usually its shortest length and worst picture uh, capability, and try to set it up at its maximum capture distance so the deer has a much harder time detecting it. So if your camera only takes pictures to 45 feet at nighttime, place that camera about maybe 35 to 40 feet away so it's as far away as possible to the scrape or trail you're looking at, but it still takes good pictures, but that gives it the least chance of getting detected. Placing leaves and branches around it for better camouflage can help, but beware as many times these fall in front of the sensor causing false triggers and thousands of leaf pictures you have to sort through. So this screw up can make you have to return to fix the problem, which I've had to do, leaving extra pressure or scent in the area. So consider not doing that and just hiding them better by themselves. Worst mistake number six, over hunting hotspots. Sometimes you just need to know when to let go. Hunting tends to lead to emotional attachments, just like that old worn pair of jeans you keep wearing and can't turn into rags. In hunting, this translates to fixating on a certain stand location and hunting it over and over, thinking this approach will produce results. I call this the hunt harder myth. There's a video on that on our YouTube channel. And this destroys more hunts than almost any blunder. Maybe you just like the spot because it looks like a good buck killer, or maybe because you shot a good one there years ago and just know you will again. Either way, hunting a hot spot too much adds pressure, causing it to cool off and fizzle quicker than a 4th of July sparkler. The solution here is easy. Have more spots. Keeping a good variety of locations you can hunt for various times of year always gives you options and keeps you from wearing a spot thinner than that old pair of jeans. Okay, that's the six. There's a bonus though. The bonus is fence sitting. Unless you have an understanding with your neighbor, it makes little sense to hunt very close to property lines. First, this can come across a little rude and unless a very good reason exists. For example, maybe it's a thick, small pocket where you have intel telling you that's the exact spot to surgically remove a buck. Unless that, you're decreasing your shot opportunities by about 50%. 180 degrees of your horizon or shooting field will be on the neighbor's property where you can't even shoot. So think about that if you find yourself straddling the fence and really hunting property lines or drawn to do that. And be honest about if it's just the grass is greener mentality driving you to do so. Most of the time, it's not a better spot and it's really decreasing your chances by, again, about 50%. All right, and here are the high IQ takeaways and challenges. First, which one of the six, if you just pick one, struck a nerve with you? What immediate steps can you take to fix this big mistake? Is there a buddy you thought of when you heard one of these? If so, send this episode to him now and say, hey, you really need to listen to this one. And sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any new content we have coming out, whether it be a blog, a new video, or short. 
and the podcast itself. And I'll see you on the next Dear IQ podcast.